If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send our co-director, Sarah Stenson, an email or visit us at lutherhouseofstudy.org. You can find Sarah's email in the show notes. Also, we would like to say a special thank you to Brian and Denise Omlid for sponsoring this week's episode. If or when you claim you have a role to play in your salvation, you're effectively calling Jesus, calling God himself, a liar. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. Sarah Stenson, Luther House of Studies co-director, joins Scripture First to discuss this week's lectionary text, John chapter 6, verses 35 and 41 through 51. In our conversation, we break down what Jesus means when he says, No one comes to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. At first, when we hear this passage, we hear it as a threat. We have a role to play in our salvation, and we better not mess it up. But as you'll hear Sarah teach and preach this week, Jesus is delivering a great promise to us that God gives us faith, and that faith in Jesus is what grants us eternal life here and now, not sometime in the future. There's a lot to unpack in this week's text. Here's John chapter 6, verses 35 and 41 through 51. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. This week we have Sarah Stenson with us. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So this is a a familiar text, uh, Sarah. Uh, And part of the reason it's familiar is because we're actually repeating the last verse. It's now the first (laughs) verse. 
right. uh, from last week. So uh, can we, I guess, can we start from there? Yeah, a little bit of Groundhog Day. Yeah, um, this is. Yeah, it's going to happen again next week as well. <laughs> so verse 35 that you heard last week, the very last verse, is the first this week. And I wanted to pick up on Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And Luther actually has a great quote on this verse. And he um, makes the point here that Jesus is talking about spiritual food, not actual um, food, food that we eat physically. And he goes on to talk about the hunger and thirst of the soul and that the soul is hungry and thirsty for um, not being cursed and actually having a merciful God that we want to be able to stand before God's wrath, knowing we're not condemned by sin and we're not going to hell. So he talks about all of that as spiritual thirst and hunger. Therefore, we need a spiritual meal and a drink. And that this is what Jesus is now identifying in this verse 35 and in the rest of the, the text for this week. I think there's a few well-known verses between last week, this week, and next week. But I would argue that this this verse 35 is probably the most well-known partially because it is said before communion at a lot of churches. So I think people know it. I don't, but I do think a little bit of what you said, it gets lost in translation um, a little bit. And I know that that's one thing that's nice is as we go further into vor- verse 41 and 42, Jesus kind of dives in because the Jews are starting to complain. Um, And that's when he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Can you dive into that a little bit? Because I think that gets a little confusing too. Absolutely. And just, just so everyone's aware, the Revised Common Lectionary skips verses 36 through 40. Um, you don't need to skip those verses. I think they can be helpful. And at this point, we have so much repetition from last week to this week to next. Like, what the heck? Throw verses 36 to 40 in there. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's helpful specifically because Jesus says in verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he, God, has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then he, verse 40, everyone who looks on the son and believes in him, in other words, in Jesus, should have eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. So over and over and over in these verses, Jesus is saying, I'm here because this is the will of God. I am doing the will of God. And then he actually goes on to tell us what the will of God is, which is to give us eternal life and salvation when we believe in Jesus. So that is what the Jews who are complaining in verse 41, that's what they've just heard. So I think it's helpful context there in verse 41. The Jews began to complain because they're saying, wait a minute, this Jesus, isn't he the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? You know, objection doesn't make sense, Um, which... They were trying to find the historical Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were way ahead of that. Exactly. Right. And so, and we've heard this again, this is not um, something Jesus was 
unfamiliar with and we're not unfamiliar with it, when people are confronted with what Jesus is saying and they don't have faith in hearing the promise Jesus is delivering, they frequently come at him with things like this, like, wait a minute, who do you think you are? We know your parents. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what they're getting at. And Jesus says, don't complain among yourselves. And this is the key. And this is part of why it's important to recognize the Jews were complaining, the people who didn't understand the Holy Spirit wasn't functioning to give them an ear to understand what Jesus was saying. Almost almost uh, going back then to the stories of the Old Testament where they're murmuring against God, they're complaining about their situation. I mean, it it's a t- direct echo of that. That's yes. exactly right, of the Exodus, which is pulled back in again, even in verse toward the here, verses 49 and 50, mm-hmm. Exodus 16, with God giving manna to the Israelites when they're wandering in the wilderness. And that's exactly right, Adam. Um that there is a, I think, a direct echo back to the the Jews who were complaining as they're wandering in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, so back up here on verse forty three, when Jesus says, "Do not complain, grumble, mutter among yourselves," no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. So that is one of the big keys in this text. I think Jesus is saying. You are not in control of your faith. You're not in control of your salvation. God is. So another, I mean, if you kind of run the logic on that far enough, what Jesus is really saying is if or when you claim you have a role to play in your salvation, you're effectively calling Jesus, calling God himself a liar. Because here it is in black and white. I mean, it's it's right here. No one can come to Jesus unless drawn by the Father who sent me, Jesus. So Jesus meant what he's saying here and elsewhere. It's not like this is the only place in Scripture we have this. We had it last week. We've, you know, we've had it. It's, it's a red thread, so to speak, through, throughout Scripture. God is in control of your salvation. Mm-hmm. You are not. I feel like that's going to be one of the more controversial things and one of the hardest things to potentially preach on. Um, and that's where I actually want to ask, because I know um, I know Krogan touched on this last week a little bit about since these texts are so similar, what the preachers can focus on while in the pulpit. Is this one of those things that you would suggest them focusing on or and we haven't we're only like halfway through the text so um there might be more to come but is this one of those things that in order to differentiate it up a little bit you would suggest absolutely i think this would be a great um kind of a hook or a thing to really focus on in a sermon carry um because it's so offensive to so many people um no one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me that takes any question of our will, our activity or action in our salvation off the table. Jesus is saying it right here. You're not coming to me unless the Father draws you to me. And I think what's different about that is people maybe assume that when you're the one saying, I have a part to play, I need to accept Jesus, I have a part to play, and you're saying that when you're actually saying that, you're calling God a liar. 
I feel like those are two different things. When you're act- actively calling God a liar, that feels way more offensive than you thinking that you have a part to play. Do you see the logic? Which is probably though? why we don't call him a liar because we want to feel better about ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but functionally, you are. Right. That's the thing. I mean, it's uh, you're um, deceiving yourself and others if you think claiming you have a role to play in your salvation is not calling God a liar. When you look at verses like this, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, this is not, um, I'm, I'm not stretching the text beyond what it says. This is Jesus telling us, no one comes to Father, uh, no one comes to me unless drawn by the Father, Yeah, period. I, I mean, he says it in a much more pronounced way later on, I choose you, you do not yeah. choose me. I mean. Exactly. But uh, aren't there, so to play a devil's advocate, because I know a lot of people do approach you and Krogan with this and all of Luther House with this question, but aren't there also verses that support like, the, and we don't need to go into the weeds of this, but like the mutual, like getting baptized when you're an adult sort of thing or verses that at least can be construed that way. And is that kind of what the danger of interpreting is? Uh, that's not interpreting. What people will do is they'll take a verse out of context. Okay. Or they'll, they'll manipulate it somehow to make it fit what they want it to say, which is, I have a role to play in my salvation. That's different. This is um, kind of standing over scripture and you're going to decide the meaning it has. You're going to, and then apply it to you and to others. That's different than what we're doing here, which is literally standing under scripture and letting it function. So whenever we have people who try to make a claim like that, Kiri, you always say, what verse are you talking about? And then you look at it in the context of the other verses don't proof text um, because then it just becomes a, a fight in the law mm-hmm. instead of a function of scripture. So, so when you have, when you're confronted by someone who's trying to make a claim like that, you just go right back to scripture in its entirety, not just one verse. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, he continues uh, with a wonderful promise uh, when you don't actually hear this as law, but finally as, as a gospel, uh, and I will raise that person up on the last day. Uh, this is this is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And what Jesus is talking about there is on the last day. In other words, when he returns uh, and we're lying dead in our grave, he will raise us up and all believers. So that's exactly, it is an incredible promise as you're saying, Adam. Um, however, if you have doubt or if you're not sure if you have faith or you know, what, where it, wherever your conscience is, if it is not in a moment of faith, you can easily hear that as a threat. But wait, how do I know? Am I going to be one of those persons raised up on the last day? And this, again, is this is where you preach the baptismal promise. To your point, Kiri, um, you know you have been... Um, drawn by the Father to Jesus when you are baptized. You have certainty, complete certainty and assurance that you Jesus will raise you up on the last day, period, because God does not and cannot lie. Can we dive into the last day a little bit? How do we know that's the last day of our lives? Is it the last day before 
um, the end of the world? Um, is it the last day before I was baptized? Like, I mean, <laughs> what does it cause mean? Because <laughs> I mean, there's you get resurrected mm-hmm. every day, um, right? There's a lot of language like that in, right. in scripture and in, in church. And yeah, in this case, that expression is really meaning more raise that, I will raise that person up on the last day. This echoes, you know, the creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's what that's starting to echoing. The last day of existence in the world, at which point time fully ends. You are in eternity at that point. Yeah. Okay? Okay. And I actually think this next verse, verse 45, this is one of the, I think, unique things um, in these three texts that we're looking at that are so similar. Um, and this is the second of the three. Jesus says it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. That's an easy one to jump over, but I think it's actually a really cool verse and would be kind of a fun one to to use in a sermon or a Bible study. He's quoting there from Isaiah 54, verse 13, which is all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. So the word Luther uses, in, and we see it in some other theological languages, theodidacte, taught by God. That's what that um, translates to, theodidacte. And it's something, it, you read it in Luther's writings. One of my favorite places, actually, in Freedom of a Christian, he talks toward the end about being theodidact, someone taught by God. And what it is specifically, we are taught by the Lord, is that we are sinners and that God is merciful and that his mercy actually is coming now in the person of Christ, which is why it's, I think, really cool that it's Jesus now saying, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Well, the prophets, you know, were always pointing to Jesus. They were delivering the promise of he's coming, he's coming. Well, now you have Jesus in the flesh saying, here I am. And this is what the prophets were saying all be taught by God. And what God was saying all the way through the Old Testament is, I am mercy, merciful. I am not wrath and judge alone. I am mercy ultimately and finally. And it's finally now in the flesh in the form of Jesus who's now telling the Jews their own scripture, the prophets, here I am. This is what it is to be taught by God, mercy, me, in the flesh. I also kind of appreciate that because it hasn't happened much with this week with you, but it happened la- la- in the text last week where the the crowd would reference Moses or the Old Testament and Jesus had to kind of reference, you know. Reference it back, yes, Adam. <laughs> reference it back. And now he's continuing on here. But he's referencing Isaiah, and he's referencing something that they're familiar with, and right? Can actually relate to, but be like, oh, they're talking like I don't know. He, he he's giving a fresh face to it. Yeah, literally his his face <laughs> to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think I mean is helpful because I can see how that would be helpful for us even in this day and age as well. Yeah, and especially when he says, "Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father." comes to me. I mean, we talk about it all the time that we hear Jesus's words and that's what is the gospel. That's what's in our ear. But he adds in there, learn from the father, which is this really cool 
what you just described as this callback to Isaiah. Exactly. And what it is to be taught by God. This is what you hear and learn from God the Father. I'm merciful. And in the prophets, you, what they were saying is the, the one who will end, crush the head of the serpent, the one who will finally end your sin, he's coming. He's coming. Mercy. And now, exactly, now we said now, this is now Jesus saying everyone who's heard and learned from God the Father comes to me. Because what they've heard is actually the faith of Abraham. They have the same faith you and I have that Abraham had in Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying here again. This is what everything's been talking about, and here I am. Yeah, you were taught that God is merciful, and now you see it right in front of you that he is. Right, but they, I mean, you you see it over and over again. Those who have not been given ears to hear that in the Old Testament and now that Jesus, the ones Jesus is talking to, they don't, that they have not been taught by God the Father, actually. They're the ones grumbling in this text about, wait a minute, isn't he the son of, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean came from heaven? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, Their ears are thick. In verse 46, when he says, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Is he referring to his death and resurrection on the he's, cross there? No, well, he's talking about himself because Jesus is the one from God and and he has seen the Father, God the Father. He is God. Okay. So and we know this is John. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God in the flesh. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's referring to. That's what okay. Jesus is saying there. And then in forty seven And then he talks about the cross. It, well, very truly, which is that Amen Amen, the double Amen, which comes only uh in the Gospel of John here. So Amen Amen. I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. One cool little point of trivia on Amen Amen is is the only time you see it is in the Gospel of John, but specifically when he is talking with or has been confronted by people who don't believe him or who are arguing with him, which is the case now with these grumbling, the, the Jews who are grumbling, wait, who do you think you are? So this is now very truly, amen, amen, very truly, um, whoever believes has eternal life. And note the present tense. Whoever believes has eternal life, not will have it down the road. You have it, present tense, when you have faith in Christ. This is what Jesus is telling them. When you believe in me, when you actually have been taught by God, that God is merciful in the flesh now in Jesus, promise, forgiveness, salvation, then you have present tense, eternal life here and now. And there is, by the way, one more reference here. Um, Kira, you were talking about how Jesus kind of pulls it. They go Mm -hmm. back and forth on these Old Testament things. Um, I think Adam referred to it a little earlier. Verses 49 and 50 uh, Jesus is talking about, he's referring to Exodus chapter 16 when he says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So he's making a very direct reference here to the manna God provided to the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Which was from God. Absolutely from God. 
but they died mm-hmm. because that was the physical, temporal need God was providing and meeting for them. And Jesus now is saying, this bread, me, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, from God. When you eat of it, in other words, when you believe in me, you will not die. You will have eternal life and salvation, period. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Sarah Stenson for teaching us that we don't have to stand over Scripture to try to find where we have a role to play in our salvation and how to apply it to our lives. Instead, we get to stand under Scripture and simply let it function as it reads. Standing under Scripture and letting it function allows us to finally have peace instead of threat when we hear, No one comes to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. What a great promise indeed. We want to thank the sponsors who make this podcast and all the other ministries at Luther House of Study possible. If you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send our co-director, Sarah Stenson, an email at sstenson at augie.edu. That's S-S-T-E-N-S-O-N at A-U-G-I-E dot E-D-U. You can find her email in the show notes or find more information about supporting Luther House of Study at lutherhouseofstudy.org. If you have a question about something you heard in this episode, we'd love it if you'd send us a message or comment on one of our Facebook posts. You can find our page at Luther House of Study, and we respond to every comment and message as quickly as we can. It'd also be helpful if you'd leave a rating and comment of Scripture First on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps others find the podcast when they're searching for shows just like it. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, you have eternal life right now. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.